0: Welcome to Rag Back, my name's Frank Burton. We're back in business. New episode, I got some music, I have a great story to tell you, I have a wonderful guest coming up later, Reid Mesha Schmidt from the Irrationally Exuberant Podcast. It is good to be back. So stay tuned for Reed Messerschmidt later on. Reed has been guesting on my other podcast. I like the sound. Check that out if you haven't yet. I also invited him on Ragbag to talk about his podcast, The Irrationally Exuberant, which really is one of the best examples of how to make an original and highly engaging show that's like a whole world in itself. Here's one of the things he's going to be saying to me.
1: Like, Friends, for instance, would have been a much more interesting show if, like, Ross <laughs> had murdered Rachel, like, in season eight, <laughs> you know? That would have been brilliant, yeah. <laughs> yeah it just would have been so good. It'd be, yeah, it'd be legendary.
0: Now... I'd usually do some shout-outs at this point. I had a whole folder full of your many messages. I appreciate you sending them. I really do. I'm not going to say that I deleted this folder on purpose, but it wasn't accidental. Let's put it that way. Let's call it a New Year's inbox clear-out. Keep the shout-out requests coming. I'll be sure to read them. Oh, look, I've just had another one come through. It's (laughs) fabulous Friedrich from Walthamstow. Delete. He's not going to mind. I think he writes these messages with the intention of having them deleted. Right, let's have a tune.
2: What you know? What you know? But we've been here before though. Through the bar though. Through the saw, One for the darko, check for the barco. Me Frank, I'm darko. Tastes like dog shit, feels like narco. Fake stock quotes, move like tugbo. Head honcho, flip like condo. Make rain like dog and gatto. I'm not just some dumb asshole. Hipso facto, let's go wacko. puff that glass ball, fall in black hole. See new Picasso, dressed up machos, new Gustavo. Shoot paparazzo, new robot got room to follow. They got no shadows, locked us up and gave us channels They made the perfect shambles, we are now the nervous samples The new examples, got a little chance to still advance though When all of the plans got cancelled, it was all that a man can handle They come with the same semantics, they're coming to shoot up the campus Stick it inside, get hip on the campus, with the tribe or you will get trampled Don't let it get planted, they spread it and let it go rampant Still, we moving in transit, blowing the gasket, lowering casket. We are not up in Kansas. You know that was not even candid. You know that we all been abandoned, giving it up, and we're not understanding. You know none of it's random. they just keeping the brand up. they just throwing a tantrum, deep in the fakes, and using the standards.
3: Close to the sun, so we lost the wings. Soar and sink, but before you blink, you have a normal link like it's a normal thing. Through the perilous fight and agendas, they write to dismember our rights. Deliver medicine with a heroin spike and inherit the stripe of American life. Try the true method. Led out here by a cruise shepherd. Two-step into the blues record. It's an old war and it's new weapons. It's a new menace every few seconds. Get too close and you get it. It's a small mistake. Huge blemish. Nazi science. Eugenics. It's vaccinated in the Baffin Matrix. Calibrated by callous agents. Who's to blame for these acts of hatred? Fruited plain, Vaccine tainted. Cracked the pavement with the caffeinated. Castigated for these savage statements. Trying to uncover with the master painting. Taking out bloodsuckers. This is Castlevania. Captivated in time suspended Divine ascension in the five dimensions But this blind acceptance and my deception in a bunch of little bitches like I'm offended Good thing that I remember. There's a new threat. Refine your weapons because the prime investment is to make human beings divide in segments like sectionists, real intruders and skill seducers that build computers to kill the future. Some the films and a million troopers with the will to shoot your ass William Cooper. No simple fix for the sicknesses and the wickedness of the triple six. And that shit exists about as long as Tuskegee. It's ridiculous or the bitterness and it's infinite and it's limitless. Come and get your fix or the river sticks. It's a walking dead. Gotta live with all the change of silence and the rage and violence and the reign of silence and the state compliance and the fatal violence of all the names and you mainly dying in the name of science.
0: A few years ago, I had a job in an office block in the city centre. The job itself was okay, but after a while it started to feel weird being surrounded by so many people all day long. It was easier to take the tram than it was to drive, so I started the day standing on a packed out platform, followed by a crowded carriage, then took a walk to a crowded street to go and sit in a large open plan office with a constant buzz of bodies around me. This in itself was quite nice, comforting even, but part of me started yearning to go off to a place where there weren't any people at all. One weekend I drove to a remote part of the Yorkshire countryside. I won't tell you exactly where. There's a place to park your car at the top of a hill, then there's a couple of miles walk down until you reach a large forest. I passed one or two hikers on the way down who'd had the same idea as me, but otherwise the place was deserted. Once I got in the forest, that sense of comprehensive aloneness I'd been dreaming about came upon me. It was just me and the trees. Birds too, I suppose, and insects and squirrels and any number of other creatures too. But the point was, it was nothing like the environment I'd grown accustomed to during the week. I walked further and further in, not bothering to stick to a clear path, trusting that my instincts would direct me back to my car when I'd finished. The soles of my feet made a comforting rustling noise. Then a voice said, Excuse me? I gasped out loud and span around. A man in a bright blue jacket greeted me with a smile. Hello, I said. Then I spotted another man a little way to the left. What are you guys doing here? I said. Guys, said the man in the blue jacket. I came here alone. So did I, said the other guy, coming over to join us. Me too, I said. Me too, said a fourth voice, a woman this time. Where did you come from? Carlisle, she said. No, I mean, it seems as though you appeared from nowhere. I've been here for a while. Alone, I said. She nodded. Funnily enough, I thought this would be a good spot to get away from it all. Get away from the crowds. A sixth person arrived, followed almost immediately by another and another and at least ten more. They all broke off into separate conversations, exchanging names and so on. Hang on a minute, I called to the group. Am I right in thinking... Every single one of us arrived alone in this forest so they could escape from the hustle bustle. I'd never used the expression hustle bustle at that kind of volume before, and it sounded rather odd. They all understood my meaning, though, and replied in the affirmative. There must have been at least twenty five people in our group now. I'm just saying, I continued, this is a weird coincidence, is it not? They all agreed. Everyone was looking at me like I was their leader. I didn't like that idea, but I found myself obligingly stepping into the role. "We're well, seen as we're all here together, I said. To hell with it, why don't we have a party? Did anyone bring some booze? How about music? I stuck a playlist on my phone and stuck it in a hole in a hollowed tree base, which acted as a kind of amplifier. The congregation passed their hip flasks around until we were all merrily drunk. Meanwhile, a couple of helpful selves disappeared off to buy a stack of takeaway pizzas and three crates of beer. This is turning into quite an event, someone remarked. I hadn't learned everyone's names yet, but this guy was called Terry. He worked for an accountancy firm in York. Well done, Frank, Terry added. This is all down to you. I really don't think it is, I said. I think we all came here together because we were searching for something. None of us quite knew what we wanted but somehow we were all drawn together in this one big group out here in the middle of nowhere and maybe this was what we were all looking for unconsciously you know whoa said terry you're totally right man hey guys he called to the others frank's just made another one of his inspirational speeches tell them mate tell them what you told me i can't remember what i said now i said I remember, said Terry, announcing it to the rest of the party. You said, we all came here together because we were searching for something. And something inside us, maybe something from our unconscious, like a psychic link. I didn't say psychic. I cut in. That's it, someone else shouted. None of us knew what we were looking for. Maybe some part of us wanted to be alone, but really we were seeking out meaningful companionship yeah said someone else man this is the best party ever sex and drugs were introduced at some point later in the evening i didn't participate just stood back and watched it all happen like the whole thing had become my own sociological experiment it was when people started talking about how this was all meant to have happened this way we were all meant to meet each other in these circumstances and that we'd all been driven here by some kind of guiding force, that things started to feel a little too uncomfortable. I was tired and too drunk to drive home. My phone had run out of charge a few hours ago. I didn't want to wait until the sky turned fully black. Without saying goodbye, I made my way out of the forest and two miles up the hill. I slept soundly in the back seat of my car. When I woke up that Sunday morning, the whole thing felt like a dream. I wondered how the party had ended up and what all those people were doing now. Sleeping, probably. Curiosity got the better of me. Instead of driving home, I wandered back down the hill and into the forest again. From there, I could hear the banging music, the stamping feet and the roar of the voices. I looked at my watch. 11am. This was one serious party. I walked a little further and observe from a distance. There were at least 50 people there now. A large number of them were dancing naked, arm in arm, in one big circle. I'd seen enough. I went home. The next day I went back to work as normal. As the week went on, I couldn't help wondering how that party had eventually ended up. Surely it had ended at some point. As the days went by, I inevitably got distracted by other things and pretty much forgot about the strange events of that weekend. Then two weeks later I was on the tram home from work. I found a newspaper on an empty seat and took a quick flick through it. A story caught my eye about a guy who'd gone missing. His name was Terry Inglewood, an accountant from York. From my recollection of Terry he didn't look much like the suited bespectacled bean counter in the picture but it was him. There was no doubt about that. For some reason, rather than calling the police, I got off the tram, went home, had some dinner, then I drove to Yorkshire. It was getting dark by the time I got there. Luckily I had a torch. I found Terry literally living in a tree. he had built a very impressive treehouse from branches expertly stitched together with reeds. At the base of the tree was a massive mound of empty bottles and sodden pizza boxes, all that was left of the others. Terry was sitting cross-legged, looking out through his window. His face lit up as soon as he saw me. Frank, he said. "ah, I knew you'd come back, mate. He climbed out of his house to greet me on the forest floor. I owe all this to you, you know, he said. This was your idea, after all. Hang on, the party was my idea, I said. I'll give you that. You, living in a treehouse, was not my idea. It's a very nice treehouse, by the way. It's a shame you left so early, said Terry. Yeah, I said, I know it was my idea and everything, but it all got a bit weird for my liking, all that naked dancing and stuff. It does look like fun in its own way, but it kind of felt like we'd accidentally started our own cult. We kind of did, he said. There was definitely a cult-like quality to it. To the extent that the whole group of us decided we were never going to go back home. We were going to live right here in the woods. We'd eat berries and insects, collect the rainwater. The party itself went on for days. Some of those people must have been quite well off. There was a constant supply of drink and drugs and the snacks. The snacks were out of this world, Frank. But, you know, ultimately people lost faith in the idea. There's only a certain amount of time you can spend out here without missing the safety and security of an actual house. An actual income. Netflix, stuff like that. So as much as we all believed we'd been guided here for some kind of purpose, eventually they all lost faith and left. I suppose it might have been different if you'd been here with your inspirational speeches. For one thing, I had to get back to work, I said. It's fine, he said, no problem at all. I figured out this is the way it was supposed to end up with me living here on my own. We had this idea, didn't we, that we came to the woods to be alone, but what we really wanted was, how did you put it, meaningful companionship? But actually I don't think I was looking for that, I wanted to be alone, permanently. I wanted to live in the woods as a hermit, and the party was this strange little passageway into me adopting this new lifestyle. Maybe that's what you were looking for too, Frank, a kind of permanent alone state. Or maybe I just fancied a walk in the woods, I said. I think he wanted more than that. In any case, if I copied what you'd done, we'd both be here and neither of us would be alone. Yeah, you'd have to set up camp in a different forest, obviously. Nice idea, I said, but listen man, your family's worried about you, you've been in the news. No one knows where you are, you're the subjects of a police investigation. I don't believe I am, he said, gazing beyond me into the distance. Why wouldn't there be a police investigation, I said. You're a missing person. Oh, it's part of my new belief system, he said. Basically, I've decided that this forest is the only thing that's real in the world. In fact, there isn't even a world. There's just me and these trees. Yeah, that's pretty wild, I said. Nice one. Just an idea, but maybe you could forget about that for a moment and just... Let people know where you are. You can use my phone if you like. Give your mother a call. Let her know you're safe. I suppose that's reasonable, he said. Thanks, I'll do that. Actually, I'd probably better call my wife too. Oh, I said, you're married. I've got three kids, he said. Didn't I mention that? I don't remember that coming up, I said. I'll be honest, I think that puts a different kind of spin on all of this. Anyway, he took the phone up to the treehouse and called his wife and his mother and his boss at the accountancy firm. Then he climbed down, handed me my phone back, wished me well out there in that world beyond the trees that didn't exist. I said thanks and goodbye. A couple of weeks later, I received an email from him. It was his work email. Apparently, he'd left the forest a couple of days after I'd seen him. He had toothache. And also, it turned out that living off berries wasn't an adequate substitute for a varied diet. His wife had taken him back too. By the sound of things, he'd slotted right back into his old life. He thanked me for the experience. He said, I'll never forget the times we had together, and I'll never forget what you did for me. I was going to reply by saying, I'm not sure I actually did anything for you. Instead, I just said, Thanks, mate. You too. With a couple of smiley faces. You remember earlier on I mentioned these events took place in North Yorkshire, but I didn't want to tell you exactly where. There's a reason for that. Terry may be long gone, but the treehouse is still there. I like to go there sometimes, climb up there and just sit, admiring the world around me. And I can't tell you where it is, because it feels like it's my place to go and be alone. There's never anyone there, and it's nice. I like that. No offence, listeners, but the last thing I'd want is you guys turning up. Now it is time for this week's guest, one of the most original and entertaining podcasters around, host of the Irrationally Exuberant podcast, Reed Meschersmith. Let's just get straight into it. I want to ask you about the um, Irrationally Exuberant. I really enjoy listening to it. It's very unusual and it's very well-made. And I would just like to hear more about it really. And uh, how did you, how did it come about? How, how was the, uh, the, what was the genesis of of the idea for the original thing?
1: Uh, Well, you know, uh, I'm an an alcoholic and I got sober seven years ago.
0: Oh, okay. Congratulations. Uh, Well done. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm. And uh, the thing about sobriety is that it opens up a lot of free time, especially when you're a full on drunk. And you really need to fill it up somehow if you want to stay sober. And um, I'd always said that I was a writer, um, which I think a lot of drunks do um, to kind of excuse their poor behavior. You know, you just align yourself with like the Bukowski's and Hemingway's and Kerouac's of the world be like, I'm like them, (laughs) even though you're not actually writing and not, uh, you know, arguably brilliant. So yeah, when I, when I got sober and had all this time, I wanted to write. And I decided that podcasting was probably the most immediate medium to get that across to people instead of, you know, trying to pound out some kind of novel and uh, see where that goes. If anybody ever reads it um, just to record what I was writing and make it a podcast so I just kind of started typing away I you know started researching and reading more books and watching documentaries and trying to figure out what I wanted to write about and for some reason the one thing that stuck with me was Chris Gaines um, (laughs) which is Garth Brooks's weird alter ego from the 90s (laughs) oh right okay and I just felt like that was an interesting thing and I could do something with it So I just started writing and that's, the show is basically what came out, you know, Um, kind of uh, just uh, almost stream of consciousness, but a little bit of storytelling in there, um, too, and um, truth and fiction mixed together. Yeah, it's just what kind of naturally happened. And I've just sort of expanded upon that since.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- th- I think that's one of the things that I really like about it is the, uh, the combination of those two things, the, uh, the fictional world and the real world. Cause you're, I mean, you're doing this, you're using your real name and you're mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're presenting yourself as, as this person, but also you've got this kind of uh, th- this kind of sort of outrageous sort of other side to it as yeah. well.
1: Um, yeah. I've, I've, Over the years, it's gotten, you know, a little more, like, personal stuff has kind of crept into it um, here and there. Um, There are story episodes that are, you know, actual stories from my life. Um, I'm working on writing a thing right now that one episode about alcoholism and one about sobriety, which isn't, I don't know if it really fits the show necessarily, but, you know whatever I write is the show. So it fits that way. (laughs) So yeah, it's gotten a little bit more grounded, I think, in real life sometimes. But, you know, there are also just whatever catches my interest and I feel like I can be funny about. um, That's what that's what gets made into an episode.
0: Yeah, that's good. And um, another thing that I like about it as well is that it's got I define it as like a, a comedy show. But also, you're not trying to be funny all of the time. You're right. not, you know, you're not sort of, it's not kind of the sort of thing where it's just full of gags, you know. Yeah. There's, there's a strangeness to it and there's that personal element to it as well. So it's this kind of mix of different elements that keep kind of um, taking you by surprise, really.
1: Yeah. I like it that way. I liked my comedy with a, with, <laughs> I like comedy that has no, no pressure. To be funny all the time, um, I mean, my, my the biggest influence on me is Kids in the Hall, which is oh yeah yeah Kids yeah. In the Hall, but it's like a Canadian yeah, I, I I
0: remember show. it from I vaguely remember it and I and enjoyed watching it um, many many years ago. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: it's very surrealist but sometimes very human. And then like, there are just sketches that there is not a laugh at all. And they do do not care. And I don't, I don't care either. I don't care if it's funny. (laughs) Um, I mean, I want it to be funny a lot of the time, but it doesn't, I don't feel any pressure for anything to be funny. And I think that makes things funnier um, in general, to me anyway.
2: Hi, I'm Bruce McCullough. I'd like to tell you about the Daves I know. These are the days I know, I know, these are the days I know. These are the days I know, I know, these are the days I know. David Hoffner, he works in my dad's store. He's worked here for 12 years, he'll probably work here for more. These are the days I know, I know. Days I know, these are the days I know. These are the days I know, I know, these are the days I know. David Gord, I've known since I was six. Ingrated, he broke his leg so we got drunk
0: and sick I like what you said about the um the show is whatever you decide it is what it is that week yeah that's kind of the rule that I take with the Ragbag podcast as well it's just that um, yeah. I'm gonna do things this way today because I did a different thing last week, and I'm bored of that now. So I'm I'm going to take right. it from a different angle now.
1: Yeah, I think you and I both probably get fairly bored, or not bored. I I don't think I'm ever bored, but I, I jump from things pretty quickly, to and from yeah. interests.
0: Yeah. Well, that that's the good thing about having uh, not having that rule in place of having that of ha- having to have a formula in place for something. Yeah. If you got a formula in place for something, then uh, you have to stick to it. And then, uh, but it, it's almost like an arbitrary rule that you have to stick to it because no one really cares right. what what you do next. You know, it's not uh, these things are not set in stone.
1: Right. And like, I mean, yeah, the through line is is me. You know, I'm the through line. So I, c- I feel like I can do whatever I want because the through line is myself.
0: It, I'm going to quote from someone that you've probably never heard of because he's kind of a, <laughs> a British guy from from like um, from the radio but uh, there's a, a Dj called John Peel who um,
1: oh yeah, of course I love John oh
0: Peele. you know about John Peel okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. don't It's difficult to know whether these things travel internationally. Yeah. Um, and um, like the fall was like kind of famously his fame his favorite band and he yeah. described them as such he said that um, they're always different but they're always the same and right. it, that that's perfect. I think that that's the perfect, that perfectly describes all of my favorite things. You know, my yeah. favorite bands are like that. My, my favorite, um, totally agree. my favorite comedians are like that. You know, the, there's something about them that um, is different and unique to them, but they're always doing something different within that, you know?
1: Yeah. I also, I, I heard one time, um, and I, I found the idea really great. And it's something that I like to do within an episode. Um, Norm MacDonald, the comedian, Norm MacDonald, he had this show, um, the sitcom in the 90s. It was, it was just called Norm. And it was a very run of the mill, not very good sitcom. It was fairly boring. It was like he worked in some office and it was just that it was so generic Um to the point that nobody cared. I mean, nobody noticed it got canceled after one season. But his plan was to have this generic sitcom for four years, four seasons of the show. And then somewhere in the fourth season, somebody, one of the main characters would be murdered and the show would completely transform into a murder mystery show. After <laughs> but it, it had a four year build up to this, you know, punchline, basically and I love I love that idea I love it just like taking something starting something in one way and just totally changing it without any real logic just because that's interesting to do um so I I like to do that a lot too yeah it's
0: great it's kind of it's it's disappointing that that doesn't happen more often you know with uh, especially with things like that with like tv shows Yeah, they they just stay the same all the time, right? uh, People know what to expect from them, and that I guess that's why they they tune into it. But also, there's they're they're losing something from it being, you know, overly predictable.
1: Right, like Friends, for instance, would have been a much more interesting show if, like, Ross (laughs) had murdered Rachel, like in season eight. (laughs) You know, that would have been brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it just would have been so good be, yeah be legendary um but yeah i like that so like yeah the one of the more recent episodes i started writing it about ufos and then i had switched it to being about my dad
0: um yeah that was great i really enjoyed that yeah
1: yeah like i i wanted to start it out like i just wanted two things that were so far apart you know like as far out as you can get and then ground it really quickly In kind of a jarring way. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of the idea I'm working with.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tiny Tim.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, my dear wonderful friends. What a thrill it is to be here tonight on this little special. Of course, you'll hear some numbers old and new made by. Great artists of the past like Henry Burr, Irving Kaufman, Harry Richmond, Maurice Chevalier and all the rest of them. God bless them all. I'd like to thank you for introducing me to the music of Tiny Tim. Oh, who, <laughs> right. Who um, I, I knew nothing about until I I listened to um, your episode about Tiny Tim, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's some interesting stuff.
1: I mean, there's a man that is so easy to d- to dismiss because he's such. What he got famous for is so gimmicky. But if you dig in, he's got there's a lot there, there's a lot to dig into. um just his he's just like like got had this encyclopedic i mean basically autistic knowledge of uh old timey music, like old like American standard. Like not even not even folk music, but like a lot of people have documented folk music, but American popular music from like the early early 1900s stuff that really is almost lost. He had this encyclopedic knowledge of it, and it's very interesting to discover that music through somebody that weird.
0: I don't know if you know this or not, but I was I was I looked it up on I looked him up on his Wikipedia entry, and it described him as. Musician, ukulele player, archivist, and politician. Yeah. And um uh, politician—that's interesting. I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll scroll down to the politician section, and there was no politician section on there. I think <laughs> someone's put that in there for a joke. Yeah, he wasn't a politician. Was
1: no, not as far as I know. I mean, <laughs> I read the whole. I read. <laughs> I did a lot of research, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that never came up.
0: If you look at his Wikipedia entry, it describes him. It, it describes him as being a politician.
1: That is odd. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, as, but there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no other mention of his political career or anything like that. Yeah, I'd just be interested to know if he actually ended up being at one point, like in the seventies or something. It was like a senator for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> i think that i think that'd be really cool i mean as it, far as
1: i can like I, if i can imagine how he would what he would do in politics it would be like some like gimmicky presidential run you know like
0: oh yeah oh oh people do that over there don't they they just yeah like weirdos yeah, running for president and stuff
1: yeah it happens a disturbing yeah. Amount. i mean the most yeah kanye <laughs> most recent disturbing example of that. I mean, yeah, our current president is a gimmicky. Yeah, that's,
0: uh, yeah we, you, you've had the, uh, the, the one weirdo who was successful. God,
1: I'm just, I'm so worried that's a precedent that's been set and it's just going to keep getting worse.
0: <laughs> it's open up the floodgates for yeah, all of yeah. them.
1: Yeah, every, yeah, every freak show that's ever been on television now sees their opening. Yeah, there I mean, we go. Yeah, it's like yeah, if you guys, if like Mister Bean became your prime minister, you know, like <laughs>
0: well, we pretty much have that now. Yeah, that is true. That is true. It's, it's pretty much that guy, you know?
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. could do it. Doesn't job. have any. Doesn't have the prior experience, but he is very much a, uh, in the same vein.
0: Thank you for listening. Many, many thanks to Reed Mesher Smith from the Irrational Exuberant podcast. Check out that podcast, it is a great one. Also, check out I Like the Sound, which is my other one. Reed will be guesting on that on an ongoing basis for a while. We've had some great conversations about things that we like the sound of. So, check that out. Check out frankburton.co.uk that is my website all the details of my books are on there and they are wonderful things the new one will be out very very soon indeed I will see you very soon